0: Good morning, everyone. Hey, let's jump right into Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or fire up your app, grab your notes. We're in message number 6 of this series called Chasing Perfection. Message number 16 in Matthew chapter 5. We've been studying it since last October. I'm so glad that you are here, our church Every week has more and more people coming back who have been a part of our church for years, but for the last year have been watching online as they've been waiting for themselves or for loved ones to get healthy or be in a spot where they can come. So we are getting ready next Sunday to open one more Sunday morning service. Inside your bulletin, you'll see this little card that says SCA Campus. We will mirror our back two services starting next Sunday, 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Summit Christian Academy. We would love if you are willing to be a missionary, if you understand that there are hundreds of people who go to church, consider journey home, um, give to journey, serve with journey, go on mission trips with journey, but they haven't come back from COVID yet and they will be in the next 90 days. If you are convinced of that and would be willing to go to Summit Christian Academy to go to church so when they come, they aren't turned away, you can fill out this card beginning next Sunday through Mother's Day. I'll be preaching the 11 o'clock live at Summit Christian Academy. Our 11 a.m. here will be video teaching. Then as we get through the summer, we'll kind of mix that video teaching around while we kind of get to just the final lapse of getting ready to move into a building where we will all be together. But if you want to be a part of the Summit Christian Academy campus, if you're willing to serve, this card is in your bulletin. For those of you who are watching online, you can text Journey SCA to 474747. That'll give you a chance to sign up and be a part of that. Uh, And we'd love to see you over there or over here some Sunday. 11 days from today, we have our first Easter service, which is crazy to think about. Let me give you our Easter rundown and maybe a few news and notes that you're not aware of yet. So nine services, our Thursday night and Friday night services are going to have kind of a good Friday bent to them. Same music, same message as the rest of the weekend services, but we'll take the Lord's Supper after our Thursday and Friday night services and really acknowledge the importance of that kind of Passover Thursday, uh, Crucifixion Friday, if you come to those services. Our Thursday night at 630 and our Sunday at 12 noon are going to be our highly socially distanced services. So for those of you who may not be coming because you can't be around a crowd yet, both of those services will be limited to 25% of our capacity. We'll take almost half of our rows out, a lot of our chairs out. There will probably be between 50 and 100 people Thursday night and Sunday at noon, instead of maybe 250 to 400 people. So if you've got a friend or relative that you want to bring, but they don't want to be in crowds Thursday night, Sunday at noon are the time to come. And listen, if you've got any kind of traditional... Christian in you at all. Did any of you ever attend a sunrise service on Easter Sunday? Is there anyone? All right. So I need all 17 of you to come at 7 a.m. if you'd be willing um, on Easter Sunday. We're going to have a 7 a.m. sunrise service um, that'll be here. You'll be back in bed by 9 a.m. So if you'd be willing to come Sunday at 7, that would be awesome. We know we're going to have hundreds of people from our church and from our community pouring in here on Sunday. We have really no overflow options that are great. And we don't want to turn anyone away. So if you'd be willing um, to kind of register your attendance at Easter at JCI, pick the one that's best for you, your family, your friends, don't come alone. That would be awesome. Six weeks from now, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 48. It's been the theme verse of our series for the last six weeks. Um, we're going to hear Jesus say, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. We've been kind of chasing down this concept of learning how much we need Jesus for the last six weeks at our church. The whole premise of this Chasing Perfection series is to learn how much we have to depend on Jesus to be like Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. That's been the purpose of this series, to learn how much we need Jesus. If there's an area where followers of Jesus need to be like Jesus, maybe most in life, it's the area of marriage for those of you who are married. So the last few weeks, Jesus has been teaching about what it looks like to be close to God, but he's been using the metaphor of marriage. So we said, let's learn, let's learn what Jesus says about God, but let's go ahead and take this metaphor on marriage and learn a little bit about marriage too. So we've been in this section called Jesus in marriage. And today, I think today is going to be the hardest Message of the marriage series this little four weeks because here's here's what we're gonna do. Here are my goals for today. Number one, I want to I wanted to try to show you what it looks like to go beyond just being faithful in marriage. What do you do when the marriage starts going bad and you want to quit? How do you how do you hang in? How do you stay in a in a broken marriage to a broken person? What does it look like? to go beyond just being faithful. We're going to do that by introducing you to kind of God's love story to us through a prophet named Hosea and his broken marriage. God is going to use him as the picture for how much he loves us, but his life is going to teach us a lot about marriage. Now, this is going to be a difficult message for some. It's a difficult message for me to give because I have so many very, very dear friends and even family in our church who have experienced the brokenness and the pain and the devastation of divorce. I don't know that anyone in our church has been untouched relationally from divorce. And we're going to talk about divorce today in a way that's going to be painful for some of you who have gone through it. This is going to be a hard Sunday to sit through. So I want to start by just letting you know how sensitive I am to the reality that life is hard and, and for some, marriage hasn't made it. This is not a message to condemn you or convict you of your past. You say, why even give it, Christian, if you know it's going to be so hard and so painful for so many? Because I believe this same message could give hope to some marriages who are struggling right now who want to quit, but who might not have to. And I believe this message could be a picture to those of you who are thinking about getting married or maybe who are newly married of what married love really looks like. And what you need to know is it is way more than you ever thought. That's what this message is going to teach us. But I wanted to start off today by just letting you know my my heart is sensitive to the pain that today's message may cause you. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit will take today's truth and cut it up in such edible pieces that it really nurtures your soul. So we always pray before we open scripture. But today we're just going to pray that God takes the words and makes them useful and fruitful and beneficial for everyone. So would you bow your heads with me as we get ready to pray? Take that deep breath that we try to take to reset and and start here. Confess just anything that might be in your heart that's standing between you and God at this moment. Any sins of commission, any sins you committed this week that may be driving a wedge between you and God. Any sins of omission, things you promise to do spiritually that you never got around to. Just ask Jesus to cleanse you of those. And then ask God to speak to your heart and tell him that you'll listen. God, that's our prayer today, really, that you would speak. God, I know this message um, is probably going to hurt some hearts today. It's going to be hard to hear. But I also believe it can give hope to some hearts and maybe even heal some hearts. So God, let your Holy Spirit be the voice of this message as it hits our hearts and our homes and our marriages so that it can do the work of Jesus in each of us that you intend for it to do. That's our prayer. We pray you'll just saturate today's message so that it's useful to our walk with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. We've been living here for a couple weeks. We'll be here next week again. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So much in these verses about, about our relationship with God and so much in these verses, just kind of little truth sprinkled in and out about marriage. We started this four-week series and kind of within this series by saying, if you find yourself living in a culture where lust is high and divorce is easy, marriage is going to be in trouble. And I don't know if you've looked around in the last three to 10 years, but we are living in a culture where lust is very, very high, and divorce is pretty easy, and marriage is deeply in trouble. As a matter of fact, more marriages end in divorce and stay together. And last year, for the first time in American history, more children were born to women under the age of 30 who were not married than who were married. The concept of mom and dad and family just isn't valued much in any culture, and it's kind of slowly slipping away, and people of faith have to understand how important marriage is to God, or we could let it just kind of slip through our fingers as well. When God was asked to describe his love to the world, he chose, for some reason unbeknownst to me, to use the analogy of marriage. God said, if you want to know how much I love you, look at how a good husband and wife love each other. That is how I want the world to see my love. So for those of us who believe Jesus is the savior of the world and we want people to know how he loves them, we have no choice but to at least pursue good marriages because that is the picture God gives us to tell the world how much he loves them. So we started three weeks ago talking about the power of lust and how it can destroy a marriage. Then we talked about becoming a loser, being willing to lose things in life and in marriage so that you could win spiritually in life and in marriage. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a prophet named Hosea, and we're going to see what it looks like to love and go like further than you have to in your faith and in your marriage to try to make it work, if that's possible. And then next week, we're going to ask this question. Jesus said, anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery, we're going to say, well, who loves the adulterous divorced woman? And you're going to hear Jesus say, me. And we're going to look at two opportunities that Jesus had to engage with divorced women, one of them divorced four times, one time a woman caught in the act of adultery, and we're just going to see the love of Jesus wash over them. And we're going to come out of this series learning a whole lot about Jesus and a little bit of valuable things about marriage as well. For those of you who want to go even a step further, the book I've been recommending all month is the book Loveology by John Mark Comer, a great little marriage book for those of you who, who want to improve your marriage, for those of you getting ready to get married, for those of you who have kids or grandkids getting ready to get married, really, really good book. Today, we're just going to focus on two verses, verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 5. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I want you, if you have your Bible, to underline or highlight these three words. Certificate of divorce is actually the first point in my message. This phrase holds the key to the entire message. The history of this phrase, the contention over this phrase, the arguments and the teaching over this phrase... This is the phrase that's going to unlock the truth of this message because Jesus' teaching on staying faithful in marriage is going to far exceed the religious leaders' teaching of his day. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, if things aren't working out, get divorced. But I'm going to say, hold on. You've heard that it's been said, if things are getting hard, just get divorced. But I'm going to say, hold on and we see this phrase certificate of divorce where Jesus said you've been taught one thing but to love like me and to be connected to God like me i'm going to teach you to love in even a deeper way now let me state this just from the beginning the goal of this message is not to demonize divorce the goal of this message is not to make divorce the unpardonable sin the goal of this marriage is uh, of this message is not even to make divorce difficult if there are some biblical reasons why that may be in your future or in your past. The goal of this message, however, is to make divorce harder than the culture makes it by asking us to raise the bar just a little bit to understanding how seriously Jesus takes marriage and how far he asks us to go beyond faithful when things are good how he asked us to hang in anyway. In order to do that, we have to understand this phrase, certificate of divorce. It was a phrase used first by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24. In the book of Exodus, God came down to Mount Sinai and he gave the people of Israel the law, the Torah. Um, 38 years later, most of that generation had died And a new generation of adults was getting ready to enter the promised land. So Moses said, we ought to remind them of everything God said. So he gave them what was the second retelling of the law. The word Deuteronomy means second law. It was Moses just basically saying everything that had already been said in Exodus and Leviticus. Again, if you're wondering why was that in the Bible twice, because it was given to two different generations of people 38 years apart. And we find in Deuteronomy 24 this phrase, certificate of divorce. Moses tells the people of Israel as they get ready to enter the promised land, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, certificate of divorce. Here's what you need to understand in the context of Scripture. At first, this was a very gracious provision made for the Jewish people to give second chances and it was a provision given to protect women from becoming simply sexual objects that were passed around between men. You say, how do you say that? In the first giving of the law in Leviticus 20 verse 10, we read that the person who caused a marriage to end in divorce should be and could be killed. Capital punishment. That, like in Leviticus 20:10, if somebody does something to cause a marriage to fall apart, then, then the response is capital punishment. You can kill the man or the woman. 38 years after experiencing this heavy-handed impossible standard Moses is writing it for a second generation and we begin to see hints of the grace of God among the people of God who could not keep the commands of God and he said if anyone has done something that causes a marriage to end in divorce here's what you can do instead of capital punishment you can give them a certificate of divorce which will give them a second chance in life hints Of grace. Everybody say grace. Folks, if followers of Jesus don't understand, embrace, and display grace, our world is in trouble. Grace is treating someone like they got it right when they actually got it wrong. I've heard grace described as unmerited favor, it's giving something to somebody that they don't deserve. Because of how you feel about them, not because of how they have earned it in your eyes. Grace is a spiritual gift. And it is not the gift of the world because you cannot give grace unless you've received grace. So those who exist outside the church of Jesus, they cannot be responsible to be gracious towards us because they've not received grace from Jesus. But followers of Jesus in the church, because Jesus has been so gracious to us, we are only the church because of grace. We are only followers of Jesus because of grace. Because we have received it, we are supposed to give it. And folks, I don't know if you've looked around lately, but followers of Jesus are not offering much grace to other followers of Jesus. And when the, world, when the church begins to look like the world, when within the walls of the church, you cannot treat someone like they got it right, even when you think they got it wrong, because you love them, the church is in trouble. As a matter of fact, a church full of people without grace, looks like the church of 2020 and 2021. And it's not a church that very many people want to be a part of, including those people who follow Jesus. And folks, just let me say this about receiving grace and giving grace. It's going to be really hard for the people of God to stay on mission together if they are not willing to be gracious to one another when they fail. When they disagree, when you think they get it wrong, but because you love them, you choose to treat them like they got it right, it's going to be really difficult for the church of Jesus Christ to stay on mission if we plant our flag and we, and we only treat those who agree with us as if they're right and everyone else is wrong. And if I could be very frank with you, it is almost impossible to be a spiritual leader in a church where people in the church do not give the spiritual leaders the grace To be human beings going through hard, broken situations, trying to figure out how to lead through things well, and to be gracious to them, if and when you think they might get it wrong, or they do, in fact, get it wrong. To treat them, because of the love of Jesus, like they got it right, even when they got it wrong. Everybody say grace. We're in trouble if we don't start treating people with grace. The certificate of divorce was all about the hints of grace that God was giving his people. But it was also about protecting women. God said, I'm not just going to let guys treat women like their property because God created women, and God uniquely gifted women, and God uniquely called women. And throughout the course of Scripture history, God powerfully used women in his work. And I don't know if you've looked at the American church, but the American church has a majority of women and a minority of men. Regardless of whether it's right or wrong, those are the facts. Every Sunday at our church, and probably most churches in our city, there will be more wives and kids sitting in church without their husbands than there are husbands and kids sitting in church without their wives. Women are leading spiritually. And thank God that they are if no one else will step up to lead. That's why we have women's ministry on Tuesday night. That's why we're trying to teach our women the Bible. That's why we're asking some of our women to be Bible teachers in our new discipleship program, because God powerfully has created and called women to lead spiritually. So this certificate of divorce was about grace, and it was about protecting women and what God had called them to be and how he loved them. But by the time of Jesus, the certificate of divorce had become the breakup tool. It was a breakup tool. Oh, you want to get divorced? As long as you do the certificate, it was the breakup tool. If you want to get divorced, that is fine. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has a longer discussion about this exact same thing, the certificate of divorce. Here's how it went. When Jesus had finished teaching, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Here's her question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? One of the popular rabbis of the day, if you go study Jewish literature, had basically said you could give your wife a certificate of divorce if she made a meal that you did not like. For any reason at all. Guys, don't laugh, especially if your wife's sitting beside you. Like, for any reason at all. You want it, like, if there's anything wrong, if there's anything hard if she burns the toast, if she shrunk your pants, if the kids didn't get good grades, like for any reason at all, if you don't want to be married anymore, just get divorced. So they came and asked Jesus, is this right? Like, can you literally, can you use divorce like breaking up? Like, I just don't want to be married anymore. Is that how it works? Because that's how some of the religious teachers in the days of Jesus were teaching if you don't like it, just get divorced. You get divorced and start over. Is that the way it works? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Interesting thought on marriage here from Jesus. Jesus said marriage is something God puts together. Marriage is something God puts together. So we showed this graph last week. Marriage is not the union of two people. It's really three. It's God and a husband and a wife. And as a husband and wife get closer to God, they get closer to each other. And as a husband and wife get further from God, they get further from each other. Jesus said marriage is is a God thing. Marriage is a God thing. And since God put it together, we shouldn't just for any reason let it come apart. That was Jesus' answer. And they said, yeah, but what about Moses? Moses. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Like if divorce was a big deal, why did Moses say, go ahead and do it? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus says, yes, divorce is real. And divorce is a part of your culture, and divorce is a part of your story, and divorce is a part of your lives. However, it's not because God created it, or ordained it, or that he wants it. It's because you are broken people. And every now and then, your hearts get hard, and because your hearts get hard, you don't follow in the way that God wants you to follow in. And as we look at what Jesus is teaching, he's saying, because of the broken and hard nature of our hearts, divorce seems necessary. Even as a church over the last 25 years, I've learned in ministry, divorce even seems permissible. It seems like in these three situations, you can talk to people in their marriage and say, it looks like if it's not going to work out, you could have, we, you hear the phrase, you could have grounds, biblical grounds for divorce. There's been sexual unfaithfulness. Your spouse has gone and been with someone sexually that's not you. There is abuse and you're just unsafe. You or your kids in the home. There's been desertion. They just leave and they never come back. Do you stay married to someone who you never see for the next 40, 50 years of your life. As we walk through life with people, these are areas that we see people being led to divorce. And some of you, this may be the picture of your marriage today. Maybe one or more of these things, maybe all three of these things. I would still say have one more conversation before you get divorced. I would still say, take the five action steps at the end of the message and really work through those even before you decide on divorce. The purpose of this message is not to give you a list of, okay, now you can get divorced. The purpose of this message is not to keep you from ever getting divorced. I'm just trying to teach what Jesus taught in scripture and help you understand what divorce is. You say, why is that? Because many marriages are, are going to consider divorce because they're all broken. Every marriage is the union of two broken people. If you're sitting with your spouse today, I want you to look right at him and say, I married a broken person. Just go ahead and do it. It's okay. Tell him the Christian told you. If you're sitting, just tell him, I've married a broken person. Listen, your marriage is destined to fail because you married a broken person. And if you happen to marry the greatest person in the world, your marriage is destined to fail because you are a broken person. And as long as people are broken, life will be broken, situations will be broken, circumstances will be broken, and people will consider divorce, even really, really good spiritual people like Jesus' dad. Remember that one? Consider divorce. Matthew chapter 1, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That would be an issue. Not a sinful issue, not a cause for divorce, but would it break the life situation that they had, family relationships that they had, the three to five year plan that they Yeah, a lot of that would have messed a lot of things up. So, what's Joseph do? He's a good guy. Because her husband was faithful to the law and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to get divorced. He thought maybe I should get divorced. I trust Mary, I love Mary, but this. Is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Maybe we should get divorced. See, what Jesus is going to teach us through this message is just because you're married to a broken person or living through a broken situation doesn't mean you have to get divorced. It doesn't mean you have to. And Jesus kind of flipped the teaching of its time on its head that, hey, when marriage gets hard, just get divorced. And Jesus said, marriage is not dating. You don't just start and stop. You've heard that it's been taught. If marriage gets hard, just get divorced. But I tell you, let's pause. Let's pause and think about that for just a second. You ought to underline these words if you have your Bible open. It's been said, anyone, anyone, anyone who for any reason wants to get divorced, go ahead, but, but. Jesus said, but I tell you. Let's think twice. And by using this phrase, I believe Jesus introduces this question. What does it look like to make divorce hard by choosing to go one step beyond faithful? Hey, when things are good, I'm in. When things are bad, I might be out. Jesus said, hang on. What could it look like? Not beyond unsafe, not beyond being a doormat of somebody's unfaithfulness, not beyond someone who's gone and they're never coming back. But let's, marriage is hard. Marriage is broken. People are broken. But someone's willing to confess and repent. Someone's willing to get help. Someone's willing to come home. Let's pause. What does it look like to go one step beyond just being faithful when things are good? I believe Scripture points us to a prophet named Hosea and says, look at his story. That answers that question. What does it look like to go one step further in faithfulness? I believe Scripture says, look at. A prophet named Hosea. Let me give you kind of a bio blast of who Hosea was. The name Hosea actually translates the Lord's salvation comes from the exact same Hebrew word as Joshua and Jesus. If you were reading this in the Hebrew language, this would be Hosea. This would be Yehoshua. This would be Yeshua. The same theme of the Lord's salvation carries throughout all of their names. Anytime you heard their name, you would think of the Lord saving. He was the first of the 12 minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible, 16 writing prophets in the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel would have been the other four. Their books were longer. So in church history, we call them major prophets. They were all important. Some just had shorter books. Hosea was the first of the short books. Um, He was the only writing prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel to the northern kingdom of Israel. So Israel had a civil war. Almost all the minor prophets were from the southern kingdom, speaking to the southern kingdom. Hosea was the only writing prophet of the northern kingdom to speak to the northern king. The other writing prophet of the northern kingdom was a guy named Jonah, but his prophecy was to Assyria, not northern Israel. So Hosea was kind of unique in his situation, and he prophesied and lived a message of hope. He prophesied and lived a message of love during a time of unfaithfulness, during a time of total disaster in Israel. And he answers our question, because the question is, what does it look like to go one step beyond faithful? And we would say, oh, be, you'll be like Jesus. What does it look like to go one step beyond faithful? Just be perfect like the Heavenly Father's perfect. What does it look like to love someone who's been unfaithful? What does it look like to love someone who's hurt me? Jesus would say, just love them like God has loved you. And if we would say, how has God loved me? God would say, like Hosea loved his wife. It's interesting the way he plays out this story for us. God, how do I hurt someone who's been unfaithful? How do I hurt someone who... Or how how do I love someone who's been unfaithful? How do I love someone who's hurt me? And Jesus would say, you love them like God loves you. Okay, well, how does that work? And God said, like Hosea loved his wife. That's the picture that I want you to see. Because Hosea's prophetic message to Israel would be lived out through his marriage. God said, I don't just want you to have a sermon... I actually need your life to be the sermon, because only once you feel what I feel, only once you've experienced what I've experienced, will the message of my love really mean anything to you. So Hosea, your message is going to be your life, it's going to be your marriage, and for those of you not familiar, it was a bad one. It was a really, really bad marriage. I'm going to give you just a few verses from Hosea chapter 1, Hosea chapter 2, Hosea chapter 3 as we tell his story. Not a good marriage. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Diblum. God wanted the people of Israel to understand what it felt like for him to love them And to have them be unfaithful, and for him to take them back and to have them be unfaithful, and to take them back and have them pledge to do better and to be unfaithful. God needed Israel to understand how he loved them. And his message was Hosea was you cannot learn to love like me until you've been hurt like me. So your message is gonna be one you live out. Go marry a promiscuous woman. And we're told in Hosea chapter one he did. She had three children scholarship is uncertain if any of them were Hosea's they may have been three kids from three different men none of whom she was married to and you can imagine like we can imagine the pain by Hosea chapter 2 Hosea's like I'm out God I'm out rebuke your mother rebuke her she's not my wife I'm not her husband God, I'm looking around at how she loves me and what she's doing. She's not acting like my wife. I certainly do not want to be her husband. Like, God, please let me out of this unfaithful relationship. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts and they separate for a period. She becomes not just a prostitute but a working prostitute and then eventually works herself into so much debt that she is bought as a slave and literally has a john pimping her out. That's her full-time job. And after a season of being owned as a slave who made money for her owner by having sex, God said, go get her back. Once you go get her back. Now, you're going to have to pay her John to spend some time with her. And if you want more than an hour, you're going to have to go to the slave market and like buy her back. God, I ain't going to... I'm not going to pay an escort service for my wife. I was like, yeah, that... That's, I'm not going to go to the slave market to buy my wife and God said, actually... That is the situation now that has presented itself. In Hosea chapter 3, the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. Many scholars believe when he took her back because of Deuteronomy 24, that they were never sexually intimate again, but he bought her to love her like God had loved him. And it's interesting when you look at Hoshua and you compare him to Yeshua, when you look at Hosea and you compare him to Jesus. What we find really interesting is Hosea purchases a strange wife from a slave market for a value of approximately 30 pieces of silver, fifteen actual actual real pieces of silver, and then a portion of barley that would have been worth about exactly 15 pieces of silver in Hosea's day. What's more interesting about the barley is that in Numbers chapter 15, verse 5. God said, if any husband has a wife in Israel who commits adultery and sins against me and you want her to be right with me, give an offering of barley. So Hosea not only purchases his wife to be right with him, he does so in a way that will make her right with God. He's the perfect picture of Jesus. And for those of you who are in a really bad spot in your marriage. You say, Christian, how am I going to move forward? When your mindset becomes first and foremost, what does my spouse need to be right with God? Before they're right with me, you are on the right track like Hosea. Hosea wanted his wife to be back with him, but even more importantly, he wanted her to be right with God. You say, Christian, how could God ask anyone to do that? I don't know that I want to follow a God who would ask someone to do that just so they could learn about love. Well, Hosea was just a picture of a prophet who would come later, who also would be asked to love an unfaithful, unlovable group of people, who would be asked to, in a metaphor, marry them to himself Not just so they could be with him, but so that they could also be right with God at the same time, but not until he had been purchased for the slave price of 30 pieces of silver so that he could fulfill the thing that God had asked him to do. Hosea is just kind of a very minor picture of Jesus and what he did in your life. And when we realize that Jesus bought us, not after we've been cleaned up and presented to him faithful, but that he... he, he walked into the slave market that we stood in while we were promiscuous, while we were unfaithful, while we were unclean. And he said, I will lay my life down for the 30 pieces of silver that's needed so we can be married, so they can be right with God. Scripture in Romans 5, 8, Paul is teaching the church in Rome, a lot of new Christians, things about Jesus that they didn't know yet. And he said, here's how God proves that he loves us while we were still sinners. While we were in the slave market and needed to be bought from our John to be loved by our Jesus, in that condition, Jesus said, yep, 30 pieces of silver for my life, for my love, so they can be with me, so they can be right with God. That is who Jesus is, and that is who Jesus, that is how Jesus loved, which is why I think this message, maybe more than any other message in the series, really explains the premise of this series. When we understand how God loves, we understand it's all about Jesus. And when we understand how we're supposed to love, we understand we cannot love any deeper than Jesus loved us, but he loved us at a level much deeper than we love others. So grace, grace has to be a part of our relationships. Repentance has to be a part of our relationships. Going the second mile and the third mile has to be a part of our relationships. Trust has to be a part of our relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, cool message, neat connection between the barley and the the 30 pieces of silver, but Christian, my marriage is broken and we're in trouble. What do I do? Let me give you five just real practical things and then we'll be done. How do I go beyond faithful? in my marriage if it's broken right now. What are my steps? Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. Pastor Ryan asked me on the Activate podcast this week. Um, we reviewed this list and he said, Christian, which one's most important? If you only do one, what do you do? And I said, you can't only do one. It won't work. You got to do all five. If I only do one thing, like you got like, to do them all. But you got to start with prayer because almost everyone you talk to about how you've been hurt, what you want, how, how you were displeased in some way with your marriage. Almost everyone you talk to will, will have pity on you and will tell you, get divorced. You should leave. Get divorced. Jesus is the only one who will hear you out and say, I understand because I had a similar thing happen. Not with a friend of yours, but with you. Remember when you committed like to be mine and to live for me and only me, like as long as we both shall live. And then you didn't. And you asked me to forgive you again and you came back and you repented. Yeah, Jesus says, you could try that. You could try that. Now again, ongoing unfaithfulness. It'd be, re- it'd be really hard. Uh, abuse is a non-starter. Can't, can't stay someplace you're not safe. Desertion, they're never coming back. But somebody who said, I was unfaithful, but I'm sorry. Um, I was an abuser, but I'll change if I can get some help. I was away, but now I want to come back. Jesus is the only one who will say, I've experienced all of those things and loved the unfaithful. Don't just pray though. I think you need to get professional counseling and relational care. Surround yourself with people who want to help your marriage win, want to help your marriage make it, but I do think there are instances where professional counselors have to step in and do what only they have been trained to do to teach your heart and your head and your life to be okay. It's going to take patience, not going to happen overnight, might take years, might take a decade or more. It's going to take forgiveness. You have to remember forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. Forgiveness is something you choose to do, not something that you feel. If you wait until you you don't feel hurt anymore to forgive. You probably will never forgive. But if you choose every day to forgive, eventually your heart will get there. But most of all, it takes Jesus. It takes remembering how Jesus loved you and being willing to love somebody else like Jesus loved you. Most of all, it takes Jesus because Hosea actually has a good ending. Hosea 14, 4. God, after Hosea had loved Gomer like he loved Israel God said this is the way one day the whole world is going to end up with me I'm going to heal their waywardness. I'm going to love them freely And my anger will turn away most people I talk to who have been wounded deeply in marriage who want to stay Ask this question. Do you ever think I'll be able to love freely again? Or will I always be afraid? Will I always be wounded? Because of Jesus And only because of Jesus Old wounds can be healed, and I believe you can love and trust again. You say, Christian, can the hurt and the anger ever go away through Jesus and only through Jesus? Yes, I believe that can happen, but you got to give your whole heart to him first to get it ready to share with somebody else. I don't know that there's a better picture of what it looks like to go beyond faithful than the picture of Hosea, but Hosea is only a little picture Of the big picture of Jesus. And if you can see him and receive him, he'll change your heart. And if you will love others like he has loved you, hey, your marriage and your friendships and our world might just make it. Would you pray with me as we consider these things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open today. If you're here this morning and you need Jesus to heal your hurting heart, if you're here this morning and you need Jesus, to heal your broken marriage. Just ask him right now, right from your heart to heaven, just tell him what he already knows. You're broken, you're hurting, you need help. You wanna make it, but you need help. Begin with prayer. But then commit in prayer to take the next four steps too. Tell God, God, if you'll help me, I'll talk to a counselor, I'll talk to my friends, I'll try to be patient, I'll try to forgive. Start this week to lean into loving Your spouse, like Hosea loved Gomer, like Jesus loves you. And if you're here today and you haven't received the love of Jesus, today you can do that even after a lifetime of unfaithfulness. You say, Christian, if I can just get a little better, drop some old habits, if I can get faithful to church, then I'll come to Jesus. That's not how it works. He buys you out of the slave market before you can get cleaned up. And then he does all that for you better than you can yourself. Jesus loves you. He lived for you. He died for your unfaithfulness so that you could be close to God and right with God. And all you have to do is receive his love and commit to follow him. If you've never done that, you can do that today through prayer. Just tell God from your heart to heaven, you don't even have to pray it out loud, that you need him. You can pray something like this. I'll pray it and you can repeat it after me. Just pray, Jesus, I need you. Just real simple, from your soul to the throne room of heaven, just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. And lead me every day. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. Thank you for loving me and saving me. Today, I commit to follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for A difficult topic that reveals a huge love of our Savior. Because sometimes when we think about the cross and when we think about the tomb and when we think about Easter, it is so supernatural and beyond us. We can never imagine experiencing that. But when you break it down to someone who's been wounded in marriage, God, we can identify, so many of us can identify exactly with what Hosea went through. And when you say watching him keep loving his wife is how I've loved you, it opens our eyes and hearts to a level of love that we did not understand we've been given so that we can give it to others. God, help us to be a people that love like Jesus. Help us to be a people who live with grace and win within Christian fellowship with grace and win in the eyes of the world because of grace. And God, for those who are on their last leg of marriage. Lord, move into their heart and their life and be closer to them than their spouse could ever be. Love them when they feel unlovable. Be with them when they feel lonely. Walk through this dark season with them so that whatever the result may be in their marriage in their life, they'll realize they've got a friend in Jesus who will never leave them or never forsake them. That's our prayer today, Jesus, and we pray you'll help us as we press into Jesus. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen.